Welcome back, everybody. I would love to announce the winner of the April Guess the Theme Month. Congratulations to Elizabeth Case, who not only turned in her guess first, but she was selected as the winner of the month. Congratulations, Elizabeth. She will be shouted out on all of our social medias. She, her name will appear on the Wall of Fame on our website, as well as she will get to choose one movie for us to talk about next year. So Elizabeth, start thinking about what you want. All you need to do is look at our social media for clues. And in the show notes, you can call or text me at 971-245-4148. Or you can email me at christy at dodgemediaproductions.com with your guests. You can guess as many times as you want. Take that, Ernie. You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 116, and we are kicking off our month of May with special guests, Dustin Morrow and Lisa Molinelli. Dustin Morrow is an Emmy-winning filmmaker, best-selling author, programmer, and educator, he is a tenured professor in the School of Film at Portland State University in Portland, Oregon, where he teaches courses in digital cinema production and film studies. He previously taught at Temple University, Monmouth College, and the University of Iowa. Before re-entering academia, Morrow was an editor and director of short-form projects and series television in Los Angeles. Professor Morrow has written books and essays, exhibited photography, produced and hosted a web series, directed a dramatic narrative podcast, produced film festivals, and directed study away programs in Dublin, London, and New York City. Given a TED Talk and an in-demand speaker at festivals and conferences in both the United States and abroad. He has written, produced, edited, and directed dozens of short and feature films in the narrative, documentary, and experimental forms. Welcome. Thank you. And Lisa. Lisa Molinelli has a master's in library science from Simmons College and a BA in English and Women's Studies from Bucknell University. She has several years experience working in publishing and libraries. Her passions include reading, writing, accessibility, user experience, and usability information architecture, and instructional technology. Lisa also finds etymology fascinating and loves British costume dramas and sci-fi. Lisa is also an award-winning producer and writer. Welcome. Hi, thanks. I'm happy to be here. I'm, we're so excited to have you guys here. <laughs> for the whole month of May, Dustin and Lisa are going to join us for our discussions on the films that we're talking about. Dustin actually chose all four films. I did. I programmed the month. Yes. It's a, it's a Dodge movie podcast takeover. <laughs> and we're so excited. Okay. So like I said, we're doing 1985 After Hours, directed by Martin Scorsese. It stars Griffin Dunn, Rosanna Arquette, Verna Bloom, Tommy Chong, Linda Forentino, Terry Garr, John Hurd, Cheech Marin, Catherine O'Hara, and Bronson Pinchot. So that's a great cast. Let's see. The DP is Michael Ballhouse. Mm -hmm. uh, he did Goodfellas, uh, Dracula 92, Age of Innocence, and Gangs of New York. 
And the writer is Joseph Minion, who did Vampire's Kiss in 88, Motorama in 91, and On the Run in 99. The synopsis for this film is, an ordinary word processor has the worst night of his life. After he agrees to visit a girl in Soho, he met that evening at a coffee shop. We've got three taglines for you guys. So you can let me know what you think. What is the very worst night you've ever had? Yeah. That's not, that was on a UK video, it says. What if the date you thought would never end didn't? A little bit better. That's a little bit better. It's a little more specific, yeah. (laughs) And when it's after midnight in New York City, you don't have to look for love, laughter, and trouble. They'll all find you. Oh, God. That's a little (laughs) wordy. I mean, the problem is how would you you promote this movie? It would be a nightmare to... (laughs) try to promote this yeah movie. i think the middle one is good the date that never ends yeah i mean for a movie this weird you re- you need a weird yeah. tagline yeah. yeah yeah nightmare is a good word to use i, th- I think <laughs> yes very much so yeah. okay mike kick us off with your pickup line okay punch it in doesn't Who's, support my theory it? uh it, it's it's e- either the character played by griffin dunn i think his name is paul or someone else at his work. It's from the workplace. Mm-hmm. They're learning to use the advanced computing yes. of the era. Okay. All right, Dustin, why did you pick this movie? <laughs> um, well, I'll just speak more broadly, yeah. uh, quickly about the, the whole month, which, you know, I, I know that you guys like to uh, have people guess the themes, but no one would guess this theme. And so I'm just going to talk about it. <laughs> give them a freebie this time. Yeah, week. give them a freebie. I mean, there are a few, there are things that these movies have in common beyond the one I'm about to mention. But the reason I picked these four films is because I think that they made for a really interesting um, mini film cycle that was first written about by a British film scholar named Leighton Grist. And he called it the yuppie nightmare cycle. And essentially it was films where you take um, some upwardly mobile young man, it's always a man, and you sort of cast him down into Hades, usually over the course of one night where, so he has a sort of continuously nightmarish experience where he's trying to do something very simple. Like in the film that we're about to talk about, he's just trying to get home. He just wants to go home. And you put every obstacle you can possibly put in in front of him and just make his life a a, a total living hell. Um, And we could talk about why why that might have been something interesting to filmmakers in the mid 80s (laughs) when yuppies were kind of at their height and everybody was kind of hating on yuppies, especially big city yuppies. The the films in the yuppie nightmare cycle were uh, always in a mix of uh, screwball comedy and film noir uh, usually with a real sharp edge and some pretty intense violence for what are otherwise comedies. So the movies were After Hours, Into the Night, Something Wild and Miracle Mile, which is the movies that we're going to be watching this month. And also you can add uh, Blind Date, which is a terrible Blake Edwards comedy with Bruce Willis and Kim Basinger. And the much better Blue Velvet, uh, which is a David Lynch film. It's the yeah. movie that really put David Lynch uh, on the map in a more sort of mainstream way to the degree that you can call that movie mainstream. You could also add movies like Fatal Attraction. Hmm. And if you expand to the early 90s, you could put in like Unlawful Entry with uh, Kurt Russell and Ray Liotta or Hand That Rocks the Cradle with <laughs> Rebecca De Mornay. Oh, yeah. Any movie where you take sort of a, 
a yuppie that ha- seems to have everything going for their life and basically try to destroy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like it's more the subject matter than maybe the techniques in the film. Like, was was there any part of the cinematography or the editing or those kind of? Well, I think all the films we're going to be looking at have a, a, a better than average strain of what you might call the surreal. Yes. Right. Yes. Especially this one. This is probably the most surreal of all the movies we're going to watch this yes. month. And yeah. I feel like this one couldn't be made today. Or it would have to have different challenges. Yeah, one of the things that is he only has $20. And right. I, I, I find that kind of thing funny because in the current era of Apple Pay and smartphones, the idea of running out of money is kind of foreign yeah. to some people. Whereas when we roll back, even before ATMs, having cash was an actual task it was a chore you had to right. physically go down to the bank and, and convince them to give you some cash and <laughs> yeah. you, out, you right. were out yeah so that it, that was the immediate thing i thought when he pulled open his wallet and he only had a 20 i thought oh wow that would that make sense today in a film i think he'd have to do something different he'd have to lose his smartphone he'd have to, exactly. have to yeah. be, be no power on his smartphone or something mm-hmm. that would can mm-hmm. be kind of interesting yeah what about i have a note here i liked when he first goes to linda um, Ferentino's mm-hmm. loft, mm-hmm. the use of light. Like there was a lot of candlelight. There was mm-hmm. a lot of lanterns. There was a lot of, you like, you know, we try so hard to light our films well so that people can see, but I noticed like half the frame would be in the dark. And mm-hmm. well, but the mouse traps were really well lit. <laughs> I have no here. Spotlights no way, on the really? mouse traps. Yeah. Are it you was making the, a joke? Speaking of surreal, no. Literally, they had spotlights on the mouse traps around her bed. Uh, made no sense to me. Well, to give the right. that feeling of how yeah, but creepy. Yeah, <laughs> spotlights on their mouse traps. I think that defeats the purpose. The mouses don't go over there. It's a trap. Well, these are downtown artists. You never know. Yeah. See, I knew watching this movie, this movie was going to be a challenge for Mike because when I listen to this podcast, Mike is the real, between the two of you, Mike is the stickler for narrative inconsistency and things that step outside the real. And this movie is very outside the real yes. right it's 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 One very hopes. surreal yeah. which we can talk about because i think that's really hard to do well mm-hmm. this is maybe my favorite movie that is a surreal movie yeah because most things that filmmakers try to make surreal just end up being weird for weird sake mm-hmm. and this and to do surreal right i think you have to have some you have to have one foot in in the real, like the mm-hmm. real is part of the word surreal. It needs to be a blending of fact and fiction because if you step too far into the weird, then you lose your audience. And mm-hmm. I know for me, one of the things I love about this movie is even though it plays like a cartoon at times, it never loses its tension. It's a very oh, kind of, I find it a yeah. very disturbing. Yeah. Like the 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 movie puts a knot in my mm-hmm. gut while mm-hmm. I'm watching it. And I don't, don't think that would happen if it went full cartoon. Yeah. No, you're absolutely correct. I was going to say, this is what Mike goes, then why are you watching this movie? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't understand why you would watch a movie, a movie that, that makes you, you a knot. Yeah. A knot in your stomach. It kind of, yeah. it kind of reminds me 
that's surreal, but also real. It reminds me of my own dreams, if I may. I'm not going to talk about my dream or anything, (laughs) but don't worry. But um, it reminds me of that feeling of not being able to get someplace. Mm -hmm. Um, That happens to me a lot. So that like you're trying to get someplace and you can't get someplace and then you're somewhere else that you didn't intend to be. And um, this movie reminded me a lot of that, which in a way is kind of real. I don't a lot of us probably have had that experience. God, you're totally right. Everybody's yeah. had a dream yeah. where you're you're due to arrive somewhere, like a test or the airport yeah. or somewhere, yes. and you can just never. This is literally ninety nine percent of my there. dreams. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is totally that dream. It reminded me a lot of that experience, and I don't know, maybe others can relate to that, and that gives you that grounding of like, oh yeah, I've been yeah. here before. Yeah. I, so what did you guys think of it? I'm just curious. Did you even like it? It's a div- it's a divisive film, I think, even in Scorsese's filmography. It is. Even if you're a Scorsese fan. Yes. They don't all, not all Scorsese fans like this one. Right. Right. What did you think? So it's the second time I watched it because I was grateful in enough. In my class. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, in yeah. the study away program, we, we had to watch it and I didn't like it then. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> because I kept wanting, I was just like. Just go home. Like, just go home. It, like <laughs> right. so at times, it didn't feel like he was always trying to go home, and mm. and I very much had that knot in my stomach. Like, yeah, just, just stop. Just turn around. Like, yeah. just walk home. Like, right. Yeah. And I think in the trivia, I found it would have taken. It was like, oh no, that that's it was that nineteen was, miles, or it would have. I don't think it was nineteen in. miles, but that that's was one of far. our pauses when I paused and said. How far would it have been if he'd walked? And I think I we, we yeah. looked on Google, and it would be like an okay, hour and a half or something. It's, it's, I mean, it's a non-trivial walk, but it's it's doable. It's yeah. Yeah. It would have taken Paul an hour and 47 minutes to walk home, assuming he walks at an average of three miles per hour. Right. Which is um, a brisk walk, but yeah, from, right. uh, her, from Kiki's Soho loft to his uptown apartment. Right. Mind you, this is walking through nocturnal New York 80s City. 80s New York, in which the, is different. 80s. Yeah. He's, he's way downtown so, in like a weird part of town. Good. He would have been yeah. killed on that walk. That's right. true. Kind so, of Warriors style. I was going to yeah. say, yeah, it's starting to be reminiscent of the Warriors. Yeah. But I think this film, uh, so I, I will say, I liked it, I think, probably the best of this cycle. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it would work if it wasn't at night. I think there's mm-hmm. uh, there's not only plotting, but also visually. I think it, it works better as a night film. And of course, uh, uh, a lot of these films do have that component to them, but there is mm-hmm. something different. And I have this mindset, right? This theory that nighttime, it, it, you view images in a more visceral, emotional state. And I think mm-hmm. that works mm-hmm. for these films to, to give that sense like it's almost like a dream where I can't get there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's all these obstacles. And it was interesting that Christy said he didn't want to go home. I don't remember feeling like he wasn't always. I felt like he was always trying to get home, but it was just bizarre. There was a dead body involved. That's a pretty odd thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that surreal kind of uh, dreamlike quality that just, you you know, oh, this person's dead. Okay, well, I'll leave. Uh, I made a note of the signs that said dead person with an arrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was very, yeah. was very kind of him to help the authorities right. find the dead person right. this way. Yeah. 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 Well, well, you're also right that once you strip daylight out of the scene, then it's all on the DP, right? It's all on the yeah. cinematographer to provide access to what we're going to see and how we're going to see it. Because you once you remove sort of day, omniscient light, mm-hmm. then... It's, you know, that it's a, it's a very striking looking movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have my notes sound like him. Who puts $20 like in the door of the cab so that it can, yeah. with the window open so that it can fly out. Yeah. 
<laughs> who puts to- uh, paper towels in the toilet so that it overflows? Like, right. it what just a felt like that common was. sense yeah. things that you wouldn't do that right. made his life harder. But I guess there are people out there who kind of tend to do things that make their life harder. Yeah. So. Yeah. I could defend those choices a little bit. I, I think he puts that money up there. I mean, that's the tray that, you know, you can convey the money from the back seat to the front seat. And oh, I thought it was on the door. No, he no, puts it, it up in, on, the, on the divider yeah. so, oh, that the oh, guy, see, so that the guy driving the cab can pull it. But I think the, the, the mm. it's a boss move to do that. I mean, it's something you would do if like he's you had a, a girl with yeah. you in the backseat, right? And he's <laughs> right. on his way. He's just starting the night. So he's right. heading downtown mm-hmm. and he thinks he's going to get laid. That's the whole reason he's going down <laughs> yeah, there anyway. Right. That's, that's why of all the protagonists that we're going to talk about this month, this one is maybe the hardest one to have some sympathy for because it's literally just going down it's like there. A booty to, call in the 80s. Yeah, it's essentially yeah. an 80s booty call. Yeah. Um, and when that one doesn't work out, he quickly shifts oh, over yeah. to try to score with another oh, yeah, yeah. Any so, opportunity. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Right but he's got he's got confidence on his way downtown, <laughs> right? And we you see that confidence kind of stripped away over the course of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's also got a sense of fairness in him, even though he tries to jump the turnstile after he's told that the the uh the, the the fee for riding so the subway goes up. It's just gone up at midnight, yeah. Like he does, when he finds the same cab driver later in the movie, like he tries to pay him. Yeah, yeah that's true. And so, you know, it's not, he's not he's without not all ethics. <laughs> although, you know, he does occasionally questionable things. He's a flawed human being. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the $20 <laughs> he comes up with later is is something he strips off oh, right. of Linda Fiorentino's the, uh, piece of art, paper mache. the sculpture right, that right. she's made. That's yeah. Right. yeah, fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of the the cast in this movie? I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, the, great cast. He meets this series of femme fatales, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. so interesting, and they're all so incredibly different, and yet all really representative of like New York of in an interesting yeah. way. Yeah. yeah so he goes it. from Rosanna Arquette. Was one of the most beautiful women in the world at that songs time. Songs written about her. Yeah, yeah. she had yeah. multiple, multiple massive songs. pop songs yep. written about her. Just an icon, even in that era. Yep. And then the the very edgy and strange Linda Fiorentino. Mm-hmm. And then he and goes the roommates, to, and one's all in white and one's all in black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. the Terry Gar, right? Who looks like this nineteen fifties <laughs> beehive. Yeah, yeah. Right. Sort of living this incredibly insular uh, life. And then Catherine O'Hara, who's this sort of beatnik ice cream truck driver. And then finally, <laughs> Verna Bloom, who is this damaged, um, older party girl who yeah. lives beneath a nightclub. It's just an, it's just an incredibly yeah. strange series of femme fatales. This is maybe a little off topic, but I was paying such close attention. That I've watched this movie a few times myself, and I was paying such close attention to their wardrobe and I don't know, I, I, I just noticed that Rosanna Arquette was all in white again, or for the most part, Linda Fiorentino all in black. Then you get Terry Gar, who's got the black and yellow thing going on. And then Catherine O'Hara also has the black and yellow thing going oh, on. And I think Verna, Verna Bloom, mm-hmm. I'm not sure I have that right. Mm-hmm. She also, she's mostly black, but with a little yellow, I think. I don't know. I don't know what any of that means, but it seemed very intentional. For wardrobe, I, I just, I thought it was odd that Linda Fiorentino's character was 
plastering in a bra and oh, I know, yeah. seemed odd i thought maybe odd. a smock just throw it on but... i guess i kept writing that off as like this is downtown new york city in the 80s these are artists right. like they'll just do whatever mm-hmm. well know. and that's another thing i think that the plot point of where he calls up marcy i think is rosanna arquette's character uh-huh. and he says um hey do you remember she says no but then she invites him to her place after midnight for a hookup I thought, uh, but I think maybe for 1980, that would actually make sense. Yeah. Like pre-AIDS, that perhaps was the culture in New York of like, oh yeah, I kind of know you, let's have sex. But it was, that to me was a little bit, a little bit odd that she didn't remember him and she was still inviting him over. I love how quickly Catherine O'Hara's character turned on him Mm -hmm. and like just the visual of the Mr. Softy truck and the mob chasing him down the street. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. It was hilarious. Oh my gosh. It's so bizarre. It's a lot of that. Yeah. It's, um, it's also, it's a very New York movie and that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons I assigned it in that, that course, Mm -hmm. um, which was of course a New York film. It, it really captures not necessarily the reality of of downtown of soho of the village but certainly the mindset feel yeah yeah Yeah, i would say the kinds of people you would run into the punk rock club the Mm -hmm. art the sort of nihilistic artist with the loft the kind of spacey bohemian girl Mm -hmm. yeah it's a very it was a much more so than I think nowadays, there was a real difference between people who lived uptown and people mm-hmm. who lived downtown in New York. And the idea of being an, a, an uptown yuppie and going down to the freewheeling Going into downtown this underworld almost. Was, yeah, it was Demi-mond, very much. Yeah, yeah. It's a, was a thing. So even though yeah. you're right, like he could have walked home in a couple hours in the, in the landscape of the movie, like it's an untraversable right distance that he's going yeah, right because point. the uptown and downtown are so different, different especially back then yeah i and i hate to be the person who's like it's all a dream i don't know that i think it is <laughs> but i just kept coming back to that idea of the dreamlike quality like did he fall asleep on his couch and uh, the phone calls in uh, his dream like none of this you're right a lot of the stuff he does and anybody does in this film doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense but i just it has such a dream nightmare like quality to me that it, it gives you that back and forth of like, is this real? Is this well, all not the real? movies we're watching this they month all have that. Have that. Yeah. And some of them really explicitly, like Miracle Mile yeah. and Into the Night, direct, you know, there are scenes at the beginnings that. of those movies that make you, make question, you think this could, def- could definitely just be asleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. I, I guess that's part of why I didn't worry so much about the weird things they were doing because I was like, maybe this is not real. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, also in the middle of the night, I think you make, or maybe it's just me, you make maybe not the best choices or (laughs) you do strange (laughs) things. Yeah, that's what we call it. 2 a.m. thinking. Oh, yeah. When you wake up and you're like, oh, my God, I think I have a tumor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A panic moment. Two a.m. thinking that's good. <laughs> yeah, so, that'd be another good name for the not theme. Your best thinking, you know. by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. There should I be a that. lockout on your phone or something. You're so after right. A certain period of time. Yes, yes, yes. And to that end, in the beginning, I noticed his apartment was just like 
Yes. Beige. Yes. Like everything was, yeah. and his yeah. suit was even yeah. 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 The wardrobe so thing again. Yeah. It was that very much lends to what you guys are talking about that he would escape that to go so to the, the colorful, colorful downtown, yes, dark. Right. Area. I, the beige thing, I noticed that too, especially in the diner when, when he meets her in the diner. I think literally everyone or almost everyone in the diner is also wearing beige or some uh, version of except beige. Except for her, maybe. Um, I think she's still wearing that white dress. I don't know. I might be wrong. I could be wrong. Well, and when he gets to Kiki's loft, he literally loses his shirt. Right. And he has to put on a black shirt under his beige. Uh It's like, you're in it. You're down here now. I don't know. I'm sorry to keep going on about clothes, but I just, (laughs) I I noticed it a lot this time, especially in this movie, the way the colors change. Yeah. No, um, that's always, that's generally a topic we talk about because that does inform the audience, even if it's, Subconsciously. Yeah, I noticed it so a lot. So do you have notes on, because I know a little bit about the background and the making of this movie. Do you have, do you, did you read about the connection of this movie to The Last Temptation of Christ? The, the making of this film is sort of fascinating. It was, it was, the screenplay I think was a senior project for a right. film student at NYU, I think he was wow. at. And it was, the script was found by... Um, Griffin Dunn and Amy Robinson, I think is her name, is an actress who was in uh, uh, Mean Streets. And so she knew Scorsese and they took it to Scorsese after the cancellation of the like the 11th hour cancellation mm-hmm. of the funding of his longtime passion project, which was The Last Temptation of Christ, which is a movie he did end up making a few years later. But he was like days away from shooting that movie they had built the sets they had the book the locations they had their cast and the funding just fell out from beneath it and he was just devastated to the point where i think he's said in interviews like he was like i wasn't sure i was gonna make another movie that's how really really depressed that's how yeah that's how horrible it was and so it was suggested to him that maybe the best way to get over that would just be to get behind a camera and make something small and fast mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And so this project kind of fell into his lap. And I think, and we'll, we could talk about this too, especially with Into the Night, when we talk about that movie, I think the minds, Scorsese's mindset, his sort of bitterness and his anger and his perhaps despondency while making After Hours is there in like every frame of this movie, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I agree. That like not that that Mike's mm-hmm. allergic to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair the, enough. In, fair in enough. The stomach. Yeah. I think yeah. uh, part of that comes from Scorsese's mood and outlook on life when he when he was making this film, and I always find that really fascinating when you yeah. can like see a filmmaker's state of mind in the movie itself, even if it's just in the subtext. Did you guys see him in the film? <gasps> yes. He was in the, the He's in the nightclub. In the nightclub shining yeah. a light on oh sorry, shining a light on everybody. Yes. Just, that's right. Which yeah, he seems kind of frantic even doing that, although I guess yeah, he's got a little seen. handheld spotlight yep, and, he's and he's shining, shining it up on in everybody. the rafters and he's pointing it at people, which, you know, is there a better I know. Is there a better metaphor yeah. for directing, directing. Than <laughs> yeah. that? But this seems challenging if you were in not the best space. I would think it would be yeah. easier to make something that was very broad, very simple. I don't know, like Grown Ups or something like that. Yeah. Some Adam Sandler film seems like it'd be <laughs> easier than a film like this, which you mentioned because it's surreal, it requires a, a very skilled hand for it not mm-hmm. to come across as 
uh, either just outright confusing or kind of ridiculous. So yeah, that is point. curious that that was, I mean, I can totally see working out your emotions that way, but it just seems like a daunting project. Yeah. yeah. Plus on a, from a practical level, it's just all night shoots, right? <laughs> yeah. which, which are really hard. It was like, it was like a, it was less than a month. It's like a 24 day shoot or something like that, but still 24 nights of working like 14 hours yeah. is, is going to take its toll on mm-hmm. anybody. I do wonder sort of the, question Mike raises in my head, which is interesting, <laughs> is is we can talk about this as sort of, I think, a masterpiece of the surreal in cinema, but how surreal did Scorsese think it was when he was making Ooh, it? And right. how surreal did it just come out because Scorsese was kind of out of his mind mm-hmm. while he was making it? Like maybe in Good question. Maybe in his head when he sat down to ideate <laughs> the film, it wasn't really meant to be this kind of surreal. Right. Or quite as strange as it ended up mm-hmm, being. It's just mm-hmm. that's yeah. into, that, that, that's you know into the night. The same question when we get to that movie, right. I'm gonna ask the exact same question. Well, I suppose seeing the screenplay would help. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a good question. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about about this film? Well, I just think the themes of this movie are really interesting. It's not just meant to be a piece of entertainment. It really is. I think trying to say something um about new york and especially about male female relationships i mean the movie is about castration and emasculation right every step of the way paul is being knocked down by these different women Women. Uh yeah and in a lot of cases there are women he's trying to sleep with Mm -hmm. right so they're they're all sexually aggressive toward him, every one of them. Mm-hmm. And the, I think the key moment in the movie, this is where the Dodge movie podcast goes PG-13. <laughs> so there's a he's in the bathroom. I think it's at the diner where he promises to order something and then oh, doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or he does and then he doesn't come back to eat yeah, it. Right, right. Oh, right. Yeah. So he's in the bathroom and he's like, washing his hands and then he goes to rip some towels off and next to the towel holder is somebody has scribbled a guy with yeah um an erection and it's being bitten by an alligator Beaten, right. or a shark or something a shark, something with yeah, very something shark like teeth that. yeah like that's the movie like that's yeah. the image of the movie <laughs> yeah. in yeah. a nutshell it's pretty yeah. clear. right like that's you know it, it's a yeah. I don't know. Is it a cautionary tale? Right? <laughs> yeah, don't, don't go downtown. <laughs> be careful, Especially of, be after careful midnight. of the yeah. aggressive woman. You know, Scorsese mm-hmm. grew up Catholic mm-hmm. and very conservative, mm-hmm. very reserved. And if you look at like the portrayal of women and across his in, his whole filmography, it's not exactly a greatest hit of feminism and you know it's it's a mixed bag Uh and i and i do sometimes wonder like what what his religious and sort of that background that he had growing up in in that era yeah you know what his feelings about women are because this is the of all his movies this is the movie that sort of seems to most directly wrestle with it yeah can i there were yeah. a couple other symbols I kind of yeah. noticed throughout, although I don't know how they relate to this or not, but maybe you guys noticed them too. Burns um, or scars come oh. up a lot, um, which, I, well, for, there's Rosanna Arquette. 
I don't know. Does she mention she has a burn or there's some yeah, allusion there's to her about... having burns and she's got this burn well, cream she that she never like, mentions it. She never mentions it. He finds it. her prescription the burn for cream. her burn and there's cream this and then book he finds a burn. textbook about burns. But there was yeah. some other, I don't, I, I'm, I won't look into my notes too far, but I, I think there was some other stuff about burns and scars throughout the movie that I thought was interesting. And he gets covered in plaster of Paris at the end of the movie, which is reminds me of being like, bandaged (laughs) and then the other thing the other thread i noticed throughout the movie was skulls you see the image of skulls Mm -hmm. throughout the movie either in people's tattoos or necklaces they're wearing Mm -hmm. skulls everywhere which to me john hurt's character's um keychain keychain. it's very you see skulls everywhere and that made me think of like you know that whole memento mori mortality thing but i don't know if it was that so much as creepy weird you know, what did you guys think of the know. ending? Do you oh, remember? Yeah. Good well, question. So I thought he goes back to work just he, like yeah. the next day. He does. Basically. So Verna sort of. Bloom, because the mob is invading the nightclub, right. she yeah. hides him inside the a plaster, of, plaster Paris. of Paris statue. This is the right. second time a plaster of Paris yeah. statue right. has shown up. So she, she puts him, yeah. she basically builds him in this thing. And then the, the glue hardens yeah. while the Very mob Edgar is Allen searching Poe. the yeah. apartment. And he can't get out. And she refuses to let him out. Right. She's like, they could come back at any time. And then Cheech and Chong, of all people, right. break into the apartment and they're yep. like, hey, it's my statue. Because they think it's the Linda oh, Fiorentino yeah. statue from earlier. And they steal it and they load it in the back of the van. And mm-hmm. he can't even speak because she has plastered Paris over his, no, over his right. mouth. And then they're, they drive uptown yep. and he falls out the back <laughs> of the van and cracks his open. cracks open. And he's standing right in front of his office as yep. the do- office doors are opening. Right. So he hasn't gotten anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And he's still beige. They're he's still beige. Yeah, he's yeah. covered in dust. Well, but yeah. He's got the black shirt now, so he's yeah. a little bit better. But he's totally covered in dust, and he just goes back into his word processing yeah. job. But it's right. so brilliant, because yeah. the, whole yeah, movie, totally. the whole movie's about confining him. Right? Yes. He can't get where he needs to go. Yeah. And it ultimately gets to the point where he can't even physically move yeah. or speak. Exactly. Like, that's how confined he ends up. I think he's even in a, like, screaming, cowering position yeah, the, or the something. Almost, yeah. Or yeah, yeah his eyes behind like, the mask. Yeah. But then, to me, he ends up back at his job, meaning nothing right. has changed. Right. Yep. Right? It's just yeah, for this, him. this giant cycle, and he's back to... You know, okay, punch it in. Yeah, yeah he hasn't learned a thing. No, nah. which yeah. is quite different from the other movies where they end up in those oh, yeah, movies. Yeah. I think that's which is yeah, yeah, a difference between. So it's interesting because you say, "Why was Cheech and Chong there?" Well, <laughs> yeah. did they need a little upsurgence because they were big in the seventies mm-hmm. and did oh, things yeah. slow down in the eighties? And so Martin right. was maybe like, "Well, this will bring in some people that Cheech <laughs> right. and Chong will be in." It. I would be curious to know. <laughs> I have a hard time yeah. believing that 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 he cast them for any kind of financial reason. I, I suspect that there's something about... Okay, so here's my theory. Okay, yeah, yeah please. I went to college with a gal whose dealer was the same person who sold weed to the Beastie Boys. So wow. I'm wondering if maybe Martin <laughs> oh, had some oh, a supplier. other connection okay. where he, he ran into them and he's like, oh, you guys seem good. I'll put you on my phone. Maybe that was it. It seems like it's outside of the of the narrative. I think it was yeah. Mark Griffin Dunn's dealer. That could oh, be interesting. Yeah. Martin's dealer. Yeah. But I like how the scene setting up where they're stealing the statue sets us up for the ending right and you yeah. don't really see that coming but then but i, I think fun... your point is is taken in the sense that they are so comedic and certainly in that era the moment you see cheech and chong on screen 
people, ha ha ha, right? Yeah, they yeah. were just, they're iconic. And so that does bring a different levity to it. Maybe you'd even say grounds it a bit because you're like, okay, I understand these guys and their sense of humor. I kind of have mm. like a, yeah. some sort of reference point for the rest of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a comedy and that's not Scorsese's right. thing. And so maybe it was just insurance to make sure that it plays and and or is viewed as a yeah. comedy. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, king of comedy, though, right? He did, but that's Which not a comedy serious. at all. No, 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 it's more serious. <laughs> I mean, talk about disturbing. That yeah. movie's not remotely <laughs> funny. <laughs> he also cast a couple of great comedic actresses yeah, too Gar Terry Gar and Catherine O'Hara yeah. um, although I don't know if that's the same point I know totally yeah, yeah. Well, she had done they're, they're both so great by that point okay. so she definitely so. had a had a name right yeah she's fantastic okay did you like this movie I think I like this movie the best of them I mm -hmm. like it it was okay right <laughs> You I'm amazed when people are can be like just sort of in the middle on 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 something. Yeah, it's Death Whispering. <laughs> the other films I have bigger she's, she's problems going, he, with. He didn't like it. You like it. Yeah. Yeah. No, but you mentioned you don't have to like it. That's you mentioned fine. Blue Velvet earlier, uh -huh. and I saw that in the theater, mm -hmm. and that was disturbing and weird, and I didn't care for it so much. I like this better than that. <laughs> <laughs> I hated Blue Velvet, and so I liked this better. <laughs> All right, do you have anything else, no. guys? Okay. Mike, was there any head trauma in this film? Uh, I did not detect any head trauma, although you might argue that when he's pushed out of the van, right. there could have yes. been some head trauma so there. there. Yes, implied head trauma. Yeah. All right, how about smoochies? Um, Let me do it. Smoochie, smoochie. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. New soundbite. Yes. Using from now on. I have no smoochies recorded, which is Wait, odd because is he kept odd. trying to get together with everyone. Right. You're right. There's no kissing. But if they happened, they were so surreal, I didn't make note of them. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to think back now, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I don't think well, there was a part yeah. where he made out with Rosanna for. Oh wait. No, there was a part where he was looking at a dead body that was naked, but there was no smooching that was going on. No, and earlier in the film, I thought they. But maybe no, she she showed him to her room and then she left, and that's when he was. I mean, kinda, that gets back to maybe the yeah, emasculation part. So I guess part. they didn't. Yeah. Ah, he didn't even get a kiss. He kissed his butt goodbye. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> There's your smoochy right. smoochy. Yeah. Yeah. And a driving review. All right, so I uh, just have a few things. One is the cab ride footage was obviously sped up in post for that mm -hmm. chase scene, but it's still pretty insane, even if they'd shown it at, at regular speed. I love the Mr. Softy food truck chase scene. <laughs> that was a hoot. And, but I'm not sure what the performance characteristics of that Boyertown merchandiser. Those 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 vehicles are not normally known for their performance. So oh, is that the that's name the of Mr. Softy truck? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a no border town merchandiser. Huh. In case you wanted to get one yourself, <laughs> I had no idea. So interesting. Okay. All right. Shall we go to the numbers? Let's go to the numbers. Okay. This movie had a budget of four point five million. It made domestically ten point six million. So it's about two and a half times a little bit less. And adjusted for inflation today, that would be like making twenty seven point four million. So that's yep. pretty good for a movie this weird. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Yeah, absolutely. Much. Yeah. It did score well, it got a seven point six out of ten on IMDB, and those scores are gen generally tend to run low. 
Critics love this at 91% mm. and audiences aren't quite as high, but 87%. Mm-hmm. So this is a well-liked film. That that number, that critic number, I think would be much higher if it was re-reviewed now. Oh, yeah. I don't know how Rotten Tomatoes, thing. If, they, if they do older ones or newer ones. I don't know how their algorithm is. I think it's yeah. a mix. I mean, I think it's whenever it was written... They factor it in. But that's the thing about Rotten Tomatoes that's always a little tricky is that a lot of movies, especially cult movies like the ones we'll be talking about this month, don't review as well when they come out. And then as as their reputation grows, what was his reputation or back then as now he's, you know. He's the god of all directors. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That is so interesting to me to hear. He thought he would never make a movie again. Can you yes. imagine Martin Scorsese oh ever thinking that? Like, it's so funny. I mean, well, he hadn't made that much, but yeah, that I mean, point, that's a, it's a different I mean, time. He had done right? Raging Bull, which was universally acclaimed yeah. and won De Niro an Oscar, but was not a hit. And yeah. you know, he wasn't a particularly commercially reliable filmmaker in that in that yeah. period. So. I guess I just think that should be heartening to all filmmakers out there that even Martin Scorsese <laughs> yes. had a moment yes. like a moment where he's like maybe i'll never work again you know <laughs> yes absolutely i i totally can see that right here take all the equipment take my typewriter this is, this is i'm done can you, this yeah. is over yeah yeah i totally absolutely i think that's part of every project yeah of right? course yeah for everybody so even martin scorsese has been there guys like yeah oh uh there's a line that he said that um uh if you something to the effect of if you don't see the first rough cut and hate it, you're oh, not, yeah. you, you're, you're basically, you're not doing it right. I think I've heard that um, too. Yeah. Something to that effect. And I was like, oh, I felt better that now yep. when I see the first cut, I'm like, oh, that's atrocious. What am I doing? I should, again, burn everything, tell, you know, right. move to another country, change my name. This is, this is over. Right. And so I loved hearing that he, he has that, he. that, yeah, the first, uh, Marty, like, what have I done? This is yeah. horrific. Marty yeah. says you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, exactly. We're in good company. Part of the process. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was an hour and 37 minutes. It's rated R. It's labeled as a comedy crime drama. So, hmm. um, it's, crime drama. Yeah. That's, uh, not a lot of crime in there. I mean, a it's tiny a little statue. Bit. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and even that, um, they claim it was theirs, right? Yeah. yeah. It was from the Geffen Company. And there's quite a few awards. Rosanna was nominated for a BAFTA. Hmm. Martin Scorsese was nominated. Well, I guess there's got to be a winner here. So it was nominated for a best film at the Chers du Cinema. Is that? You never heard of it? No. <laughs> uh, Martin did win best director and was nominated for the Palme d'Or at can in 86 so i knew there was let me see the french the french are yeah, always, they would the french are always ahead it. of us yeah, when it comes yeah. to art <laughs> film perfect well, sense. Really surreal films that seems very oh, french yeah. to me yeah. yeah agreed martin was uh won best director at the independent spirit awards griffin was nominated for a golden globe for best actor and then i have here as producers griffith dunn robert colesbury and amy robinson won for best feature at the independent spirit awards. So that will do it for this episode of after hours. Thank you for joining us. You got a big hint at the top of the show. So go ahead and text me your guests at nine, seven, one, two, four, five, four, one, four, eight, and stay tuned next week. We will be talking about into the night and never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, 
go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 